Good evening and welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Braith. It is the Retro Show, the final Retro Show, and what a way to go out uh, with a bang, uh, Newcastle United against Barcelona. And of course, it's not the only time we played them that wonderful night at St James's Park when we beat them 3-2. Uh, there are other fixtures as well, which I'm sure the panel will touch on. So it's welcome for the final time on this show to George, to Steve Wilkinson, to Stu Penman, to Mitch and Steve Hasty. Hi, lads. You OK? Yeah, very good. Excellent, good stuff. And don't worry, people out there, we will be getting the guys back on a different show, but uh, I can't believe we've actually covered all the games uh, and all the teams, more or less, that uh, we set out to achieve when we started this. So it's uh, it's a round of applause for the lads and well done. We don't have players that played for both teams at the end. Uh, you'd struggle to get 11. Uh, never mind 11 or sub and a manager, although we could give it a good go, I guess. But um, <laughs> we have got a couple of celebrities just to just to keep in check with the other retro shows. But George, uh, we'll start with you, mate. And Newcastle United against Barcelona. Um, hi, everyone, and Happy New Year to those I haven't already spoken to. Um, yeah, well, it'd be no uh, surprise that I want to kick off with the 3-2 victory at St James's Park. Uh, for me, as personally, it's a game I nearly missed, and I would I would have regretted very much missing it. Um, the reason I nearly missed it is because the uh, because of the uh, reduced capacity because of the ground, there were only thirty odd thousand tickets, and because uh, they went like snow on a day. It just so happened that I, uh, as chairman of North Tyneside Sports Council, I was invited to an event by Walls End Sports uh, by Walls End Boys Club. And of course, there was there was more Newcastle players there, ex Newcastle players there, than you could shake a stick at. Uh, and one of them happened to be uh, somebody I knew very well as, as when I was there, and that was Charlie Woods, who, who played for the for the tune. And I, I happened to say, so Charlie happened to say, "Are you going on uh, for the Barcelona match?" I said, "Well, I, I couldn't get a ticket." He says, "That's all right. Come with me. I've got two or three uh, of my players' tickets." And then I got a surprise. Normally when the players got tickets, you were in the paddock um, or at rare occasions in, in, the, in the old wooden stand. However, th these were for the leasers' end. And that again reflected on the fact that it was a, a reduced capacity. So this match was not only um, a great uh, spectacle for me, but also the one and only match that I have seen from the Leeser's end, because the rest of the time I've, I've either been in the paddock or in in the Gallagher end, um, and and it was quite a quite a um, a change because uh, uh, I, the surprise. What surprised me is that the Leeser's end. The, the the barriers are differently spaced to the Gallagher end, and um, so there's still a lot of pushing forward and rushing forward when things happen on the pitch. Well, in this game. It was an awful lot of that. So, um, not being uh, a, a tall guy, quite a lot of what was happening on the pitch, I was, I was having to watch on my tippy toes or, or half feet up the back of the bloke in front of us because I couldn't, couldn't stand where I was. I was getting pushed about all over the place. Anyway, 16th of the 9th, 97. And here we are in a European Cup match against uh, one of the top teams in the world, never mind Europe. Um, our team was given uh, given Barton, Beresford, Batty, Albe, um, Lee, uh, Gillespie, um, 
Thomas Don John Dole Thomason, there's an name to conjure with the Spreer, um Watson and uh that was it. Barnes, John Barnes. Um and uh it was a, a real spectacle in a in a game that's uh, Flowed from end to end, uh, as they say, but also a game where one individual dominated the whole match, and that individual was uh, Faustino Aspria. Um, he was uh, in in football in terms unplayable that night. He just went, yeah, you can run through me photos as I'm talking if you like, Steve. There he is. Um, he was just unplayable, and and uh, every touch was dangerous. And uh, who would have thought that by 47 minutes of this game, we would be three up and that all three goals, there's his characteristic sub assault when he scores, um, would be scored by Aspria. Now, it looked like we're going to run away with it, but like all good teams and all uh, good managers that they had, um, they counteracted uh, Faustino in the second half and uh, Rudiger and Anderson doubled up on him in, in the second half and uh, I think he also ran out of a bit of steam uh, and they slowly but surely clawed their way back into the into the game uh, with uh, two goals um, the uh, other thing about it for me was how the the referee in that match and, and the officials generally allowed the game to flow, there were some uh, incidents uh, which would normally have been pulled back for free kicks and all the rest of it. But they, they allowed the game to flow because it was that kind of game. And I, I was very impressed with the way the officials handled this game. But slowly but surely, Barcelona got into it, back into it. And uh, Enrique um, scored. And then just to give us some uh, um, nerves at the end, like Newcastle sometimes do, um, yeah, someone's saying that uh, Gillespie had surgery on, on toast all night. He did. He, he, Gillespie was also um, very good. Um, Vigo scored right at the death, minutes, seconds before the end, really. And I think there's a picture of his goal in there somewhere, Steve. Um, one of the last pictures I sent you. That's it. That's it. That's, that's us picking the ball out the back of the net. He hit it from outside the area. And it, it hit the hit the bar, hit the post, and it ended up back in, in the back of the net. And from then on, we had a very sweaty two minutes to the to the end of the game. But a game which uh, I was absolutely delighted I didn't miss because I'd have been uh, really really um, disappointed to have, have, have missed that spectacle. I'm not going to say it's one of the best games that I've seen. It was it was good. It's up there with them though. Uh, and as I say. Delighted that I was able to be there with the uh, 30, 35,274 others that were there, um, which of course was due to the ground uh, changes while there wasn't a full house. This is a match that deserved a full house, actually, um, and, and a much wider audience. It did get television coverage, but uh, um, it's a one that uh, people will remember, and certainly I, I remember. And uh, uh, But you've got to come back to... Uh, uh, the star of the night. Uh, Gillespie was good. Yes, I agree with that comment. But Faustino Aspria was, as I said before, unplayable. And I'll read a quote from one of his colleagues. Philip, Philip Albert said, when you see how easy it was 
for him to get those three goals, you could only stand back and admire him. Now, I think that's not bad from one of your playing colleagues to uh, uh, comment uh, in, in a match like that, where it's littered with internationals uh, on the field on both sides. And yet, uh, Faustino was that. That's the program, uh, uh, Steve. Yes, thank you. I, I don't know what other is. Is there any other? I think there might be another couple of pictures. Oh, that's that's the team. That's the team before kickoff, and uh, there he is on the on the uh, left hand side of the front row, sitting there waiting to pounce uh, as he did. And that's uh, one of his headed goals. Uh, I think there was two headed goals, and, and that was. Yeah, there was two. Yeah, and that's the yeah, and that's the second one. Yeah, that's the first one. Yeah, and that other one yeah. was the hat trick one. Yeah, so um, amazing night, amazing night, and and as I say, um, makes you think at uh, some of the people that were watching nowadays, um, how they would cope with with players like that, and I don't think the the code actually, but never mind. So that's my first one. A great, uh, um, yeah. Van Gaal was the manager, and as I said, uh, that's how they got back into the into the game because they they, they, they reorganised and as good managers would, and and, and as the as the players did, that, uh, uh, Rudiger and Anderson doubled up on Faustino, and I think he was run out of steam. Um, but that was it. That's my first recollection. A, a game that I'll always remember. Cheers, George. Steve Wilkinson, good evening, mate. On to you. Evening all and happy new year to everybody. Um, Steve, can you put the first picture up um, uh, this uh, that I sent you? It's a, it's a guessy game for for those that's got memories from the past. I know Steve Hasty knows where this is. Um, I'll come back to this in a moment, but uh, if anybody on the chat wants to say whether they think that is, then uh, and it's got a very tenuous connection to Barcelona and, and uh, Newcastle playing there. Um, the uh, I, I first went to Barcelona's ground, New Camp, in 1977. I was on holiday in, in uh, Lorette and we had a, a sort of day trip to Barcelona. And part of that tour was to, to go to the, the New Camp. And it, what a fantastic stadium it was 120,000, I think it held in those days. Um, probably not much less than that now. Um, hardly any covered in area. I think there was one bit that was covered, probably just for the uh, the, the officials. Um, but it, obviously, you, you expect to get good weather in Barcelona and the sun's out all the time and uh, as we'll as we'll discover that isn't the case um but I and I remember the pitch was you know I think it was about June July the pitch was like a bowling green at that time of the year and remember in the 70s the uh, pitches over here were, were just a quagmire often and uh, but it, it was it was actually like a billiard table the, the pitch over there so um it was always my ambition to to go there one day and uh, never thought that it uh, it would happen to see us playing playing Newcastle um, in uh, 1997, because uh, we would have a our, our little flurry in the in, in the Fairs Cup and things in the in, in the Europa League in the in the 70s and, and late 60s when we won the Fairs Cup. But uh, it was it was a long way to come to think that we'd get back into the amongst the the, the real elite um, like like Barcelona were all the way through. So coming coming to the game, um, the reason for that picture is any I don't know if anybody put the answer to the question uh, on there, but it's uh, the Dave Flora Robson Playhouse, which is on uh, Armstrong Road, which is the uh, the, the coast road. Um, well, it used to be it used to be, used to be called Benton Bank, Steve. 
Yeah. Um, it, it, if anybody doesn't visualise where that is, it, if you if you on the on the road down to the left is is the corner house, and if you head up the hill, you'll come back to towards the punch bowl and and, and towards Jesmond area. So that's the, the road that is uh, is now the road going through and and throwing up some clear with. I think it was knocked down to make the road wider. Um, anyway, um, in 1968, I went to see a, a play there from the school um, called Pygmalion with George Bernard Shaw. And uh, if anybody doesn't know Pygmalion, it's uh, the one that led to uh, the, the film My Fair Lady. And it's about uh, uh, Dr. Henry Higgins, who teaches uh, a little cockney flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, to, to talk proper. And one of the things that uh, he used was a, a, a saying called the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. Now, in my experience, the rain fall in Spain falls mainly when Newcastle are playing. <coughs> that was the case on this this occasion in 1997. Uh, sorry, 90, yes, it was 97. Um, when we played the the return game to the one that was uh, that George has just talked about. Sadly, then um, it, it, it was a, it was on a league format at that time, as, as it is now. And uh, in in the league with us was Barcelona, Dino Kiev, and PSV Eindhoven, and and we played both of those other teams. Um, in in the case of Dynamo Kiev, we played them once, got a got a credible draw away. We played PSV Eindhoven, um, both home and away, and lost both games. So we weren't we were already out of the the the, uh, the, the Champions League group as far as qualifying was concerned by the time we came to the return game against Barcelona. But sadly, so were Barcelona. And that meant that uh, as, a, as, a, as a game, it was, it was effectively a, a, a high-quality friendly. And uh, the, the word was in, in Barcelona that there wasn't many going to be there. That the, uh, I think they, they run on a membership. So you either, either go or you don't. And you, I think the, uh, the expectation was that the crowd wasn't going to be that great. But still, as far as Newcastle fans were concerned, it was a it was a day out, and uh, what a day out it was because uh, we went in our thousands. I think there was about five or six thousand there flying out uh, on on club tours, which is one of the ones I did on the day. I think there were some that probably went the day before and stayed overnight. And as typical with Newcastle fans, there would be loads made their way from all parts of the world, or even from Newcastle via all different sorts of routes. And everybody gathered on Barcelona for the usual uh, pre-match. Um, drinking session and, and uh, getting ourselves ready for the game on the, on the, the Wednesday night. Um, I remember getting into a, a square just off Las Ramblas, um, mm-hmm. probably around about lunchtime. I don't know if anybody else was there in that same square, yep. but there was there was thousands in there finding the, the local hostelries and, and getting the, getting tanked up as only Jodies can, playing football, singing songs. It was it was a very Light-hearted atmosphere. I, I remember the, there was there was armed police there, but they really kept a low profile out the way, and there, there wasn't any trouble from what I remember. Um, there, there's a picture of oh, I said Steve the other picture. Um, I had gone on my own, and uh, but I, obviously as as old Jordy saw when you see the black and white, you you uh, you all clamped together, and that's a a, a group of uh, people that I met there. Um, I look a bit different as you see at the front. That's me at the front uh, with without the glasses, with with hair and. Uh, even though it was November, November hadn't been invented in those days, but I did have a hairy lip at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that maybe is in the, can, can go into the thing that the day I met, I suppose, for all those fans, the day I met Steve Wilkinson from the Retro Show. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
if anybody recognizes themselves on there, maybe they get maybe there's a viewer watching tonight that's seen it. So anyway, that so that that's uh, that was a great afternoon. The sun was shining, it was all very nice, but there was rain forecast. And uh, we all had to be at the coaches to take us to the ground about half five, even though the kickoff was I think we quarter nine, but they, they always make to make sure you're in early and get there. And so everybody trooped to the coaches uh, down the bottom of this last rhombus and, and got there. And just about the time you got the coaches, the heavens opened. And uh, it was that for the rest of the night. And it was absolute monsoon by the time we got to the ground. And uh, for those of you who were there, we'll just remember. Now, I was fortunate that, um, that, that being, being in the wheelchair as I was, um, I wasn't going into the high part of the, the open part where all the, the, the most of the fans were. And I, I guess anybody up there got an absolute drenching. Um well, I, I was I was so wet uh, as, as we got into the game, and, and uh, as I, I kept emerging, somebody was pushing me around, and, and uh, we kept emerging at different levels on the ground, and eventually ended up in a Barcelona section, I think, uh, which was undercover. And it was actually a part where you could get a drink, even though it was a it was not legal to have a drink officially in the ground, and I, I guess the Newcastle fans didn't get a chance to have one. Um, those rules didn't seem to apply to Barcelona. We managed to, to have a couple of bottles while the game was go, game was on, and undercover, which was fortunate. Although it was still pouring rain after the match, so um, the game itself, unfortunately, there was only twenty five thousand there. So me 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 wish to see a, a fantastic spectacle in in, in front of uh, one hundred twenty thousand wasn't realised, and it was there was only twenty five thousand there getting the, the drenching that everybody else got. Um, it was it was a, it was a reasonable game. I wouldn't say it was a fantastic. It ended up one nil, um, goal by Giovanni, um, and uh, he received a pass by, some, by somebody called Pep Guardiola. I don't know if anybody's heard of him, but he was he was one of the Barcelona players that night. Um, Barcelona had, had changed the team somewhat from the uh, from the first leg when when we played at Newcastle. That that game, I remember the the one that George talked about had, had players that you'd, you'd heard of: Luis Figo, Luis Enrique. Um, Ivan de la Pena, people like that, that, that were they were just household names in Barcelona, but they weren't playing in this game. Um, and there was only a, about a three or four players from the from the first game that, that played. Although there's still names like My, Michael Reisinger and Rivaldo, as well as uh, Pep Guardiola, were, were on the team. So this the, the goal was as I said, it was a nice goal, chipped over, and uh, but but our team, um, you know, they they, they 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 couldn't find the net in the game, and it. And it it went into the second half. Um, one notable um, debut appearance in that game, if I remember right, was Aaron Hughes, um, who went on to be a, a good servant of the club. Um, I, I was involved in Nudzer, as you know, at the beginning, and uh, Aaron Hughes was one of our first patrons. We had it, and he and he and he did a great job in, in that. Um, but he, he came on as an eighteen-year-old substitute in the second half, and uh, what a, what a place to make your debut. So um, that was that was my first trip, um, a soaking wet game. Um, Newcastle lost one nil, and uh, we were out of the Champions League. But always happy to be in it. So Steve, Steve, can I talk about the Playhouse? Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, the Playhouse was the birthplace of lots of celebrities in this part of the world. Mike Neville started his career there. George House started his career. There. Jackie Haig, otherwise known as Wacky Jackie, uh, started his career there. And most of the directors and new early directors and producers for Time T's television 
were people that were <coughs> at, the, at the playhouse. It was a, an absolute gold mine for people wanting to get into the game. Uh, and uh, Mike Neville went to my school. Um, the real name, Jimmy Briggs, by the way, not Mike Neville, Jimmy Briggs uh, was his real name. Uh, and as I say, George House, Swacky Jackie, they all came from the playhouse. So seeing that is is a good memory, Steve. It was a nice, nice, nice link. Good stuff. Okay, uh, Mitch, under you, mate, for your first recollection of uh, games from yeah, Newcastle. I'm, I'm going to take me back to the game my dad's talking about, the three-two goal game, um, which I think people underestimate what that game means to yeah. us as a club. Um, it wasn't just about Faustino Esprit, as, as people are seeing in the chat. That was Keith Gillespie's defining moment. Absolutely. That night, he was utterly unplayable. And I'm going to tell you about another player, Steve Watson. Steve Watson, unfortunately, and on, on a number of occasions, fell between a number of stools because he was so versatile. Yet my feeling was always that Steve Watson was a centre-back. And that night, for 18 minutes, he marked one of the best centre-forwards in Europe out of the game for 80 minutes. And it was only when they were really pushing at the end of the game that that centre-forward got involved in the, in, in, in the play. And nobody seemed to pick that up. That, that night he played centre-back that should have been his position for the rest of his life, for me. Um, and I'm biased. Steve went to school. This. God, Steve kept me out of, out of my year's football team, even though he was three years younger, because he was that much better than me, you know, at the end of the day. Um, but when you watch someone who got labelled as a bits and pieces player and yet stuck in that team at centre-back and he marked one of the best centre-forwards in Europe out of the game for 80 minutes and never got the plaudits for it. You know, Espria rightly gets the plaudits for the hat-trick. Um, Gillespie, people remember, that was his defining moment because it was. He, that night, was utterly unplayable in the same way that Espria was. Um, and actually that night was a defining moment for us as the collective week the team on the pitch the fans in the stand when we come together when we create something special that wave of positivity that wave of emotion we're pretty hard to beat and yet, this is also one of the games that people will turn around and try and beat us with a stick with and tell us we are unre unrealistic in our expectations. You know, you listen to some people and say, uh, oh, well, you know, Geordies want this and Geordies want that and they want to be in here and they want to be there. We were doing this long before Spurs were involved in Champions League. Good God, surely I'm sure I'm you. We had more goals than Tottenham Hotspur in the Champions League at one point in time. Fact. You still got more than Sunderland. Well, obviously, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we get called deluded and all of this. 
And yet that night, that night against Barcelona, where we rocked the football world, you go on YouTube, look where all the highlights are from. The highlights are from every single bloody television football, television channel that shows football around the world. From America to Serbia to the UK to Australia. And everybody wants to show these show these these highlights of a game that meant a lot of us as a club. And yet it it was our amazing debut in the world of the Champions League. And is it wrong for us to look at that and go, does it a generation of our fans who've experienced that and would like to experience that again. That's not unrealistic. That's not beyond our station. Because we've been there. And we've been there before Tottenham. We've been there before Everton. And a load of other names you can, you can trot out. And that night lives long in our history as an amazing night. Because, good God, that night for me, I, I remember sitting at half-time thinking, is this real? Are we really doing this? And then we trot out after, after, after half-time and go three no. It was just crazy. You know, and yet we had players playing um, at a level that we knew they could play at, but they demonstrated it on that night. And, 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 and as, a, as a club... As a city, as a community, we we rode that wave that night, and it was an amazing night for all of them. And I think we've all got still get goosebumps sometimes when we see some of that. For me, that third goal, the the, the header from Espria, yeah. was nearly level with the crossbar. You know that 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 for me just absolutely gets me every time. Um, and 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 that night was was a defining moment in our history. And I think as a club, we deserve to have that again. And it, over the last 13, 14 years, we've lost the ability to dream. And now we can dream again. And that's the kind of thing we need to dream for. We need to go back to that and say, you know what? We've done this before. Let's do it again. And let's dream again. And, and, and that's what football's about for all of them is the ability to dream. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Great, great Steve, recollection. Steve, can I come back on Steve Watson's throwing? Somebody commented in the chat <laughs> about his throwings. He had this um, amazing throwing where he'd take a couple of steps back onto the cinder track and then do a somersault on the touch on the t- on the byline and then throw the ball in. And it used to mesmerise defences and cause all sorts of mayhem. And then the, the spoiled sports at the FA decided it wasn't legal. <laughs> but it was amazing to see him do this somersault and then throw the ball right to the penalty spot without any effort at all. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Stu, over to you, pal. Well, I put me special top on tonight. Well, hey! Barcelona. Are you going to give um, us a bit of Freddie Mercury while you're on? No, <laughs> you, you, you seem to sing it on the, the Christmas thing, so that's why you put it on first, so everyone forgets about it by the time it's finished. <laughs> the, the first game, I, I covered the one that Steve Wilkinson covered in the, when we did the European nights, and then the one that's 
uh, Mitchell Senior and Junior just covered as well. I'll cover that for my second game, so it's not all in the in the same one. So the my third game against Barcelona was on December eleventh, two thousand and two, away to Barcelona. Now this game should have been on December the tenth, two thousand and two. Uh, but there'd been a downpour of biblical proportions that night and the game got uh, rescheduled. Unfortunately, there was a lot of fans who had travelled from Newcastle that had to go back on the on the scheduled flights, etc. But I was living in Tenerife at the time and four of us had flown over there on the Tuesday morning with the intention of going back on the Wednesday afternoon. But once we realised the game was off, we then had to make phone calls to flight companies, to hotels, to wives, girlfriends, and for one of the lads, all of them, he had to ring his girlfriend, his <laughs> wife, the hotel, everything. But uh, <laughs> it was. But to be honest, Dave, Barcelona is not the worst city in the world to be stuck in, like with a group of lads and not much yeah. to do. Uh, but it's after the. It's not. Well, it's not. It is here, but not where you are. It's not after the watershed yet. So I'll, I'll keep things civil and about football. So the. Five years on from the last visit that uh, Steve Wilkinson covered there, we're still back at Camp Nou, and the excitement never waned. You know, you're watching your castle at the new camp. You know, how can you not get still get excited with it? And at the time, Bobby Robson, or Sir Bobby, as he'd become, and JC were the coaching team. And JC had told us the hotel, the, the students, were, the game was, as I said, meant to be played on the Tuesday. We're meant to go back to the hotel on the Tuesday night to have a drink with the players and the staff. But we couldn't go back because they weren't allowed to drink. So for the next night, we had to get a hotel. We booked in that one, and it was the Art Hotel. Even now, 19-plus years later, it was still expensive. For the same price then, we paid €200 Euros a night to stay there. That was like nearly 20 years ago. But it's it's on the beachfront of Barcelona. It's one of the tallest buildings there. But we, we stayed there the second night. Um, like I said, a lot of the fans had to go back. But when the game did start, because they, they managed to dry everything out of the pitch and everything else, it, it, it was just like a Sir Bobby Robson tribute night. There, much as adulation he's held, held in with both fans. Now, just I've got written down some of the players that were playing for Barcelona that night. We we were up against Puyol, Jabot, Coco, is it Raquel? Raquel? Zavi, Hi, him. Mark Overmars and Patrick Cliver when he was good. Yeah. That was uh, that was the, all them were in their team, and we had Sharon Bellamy up front, but they were both injured, so we got re- they got replaced by Shola and Lua Lua. So the phrase "What could possibly go wrong?" was certainly up then. Um, but to be fair to Shola, he was immense that night. Uh, I think that was the the making of him really, where he got the respect. He held the yeah. line great, and if I recall correctly, he was only offside twice. So that's got to be a record for, for him in, in one game. Um, and <laughs> there was a thing that he'd never... Newcastle had never been beaten when Shola had scored. And soon enough, I'll go through the goals now. So after about six minutes, I think it was, Barca scored early. It was a badly defended corner and the, the ball fell to Zavi, 30 yards out. I mean, what a player to leave isolated on the ball. And he curls his exquisite cross right there diagonally across the box. And uh, Danny nipped in at the back end, stuck his leg out, and it, and it goes uh, in, in past. I think it was she was, that was in goal. Uh, and you think, well, six minutes gone, that's it. We're in for another hiding here. But then, what happens? Newcastle decided to start playing football, and they were really, really, really impressive. Uh, from after going behind, they took the game to Barcelona. 
Uh, Nobby was brilliant that night. Kieran Dyer was making energetic runs. Uh, and the goal come from Nobby bursting through the middle. And he, he passed the ball to uh, uh, Kieran on the edge of the box, who then laid it into the... He just actually rolled it in the path of Tushola. And you start thinking, if this was Shearer, he's going to put his boots through it, you know, and it's like he's going to ripple the net. And sure enough for him, I'm sure, the ball, the whole thing, you know when time freezes and everything starts going really slow motion? It must have been like that for him because he literally passed the ball into the net. But it was with such accuracy, it was right at the corner. It was once each. And unfortunately, because a lot of the fans had to go back to Newcastle the night before, there was only a couple of hundreds still there. But you would have thought there was about 5,000, the noise that we made. You know, we'd seen Newcastle score at the new Camp which we hadn't done five years previously, would seem Shola's score at the new Camp. And you're thinking, right, we've never got beat when Shola's uh, scored. We can't get beat, can we? But uh, 12 minutes later, that was undone by some double Dutch, Mark Overmars, who was exceptional that night. He gave Griffin a torrid time. Uh, he he crossed the ball at the middle in Clive, really, he, put, he did it well. Uh, put them 2-1 up. Now, again, going into half time, we were still seem to be, we weren't lying down or, or feared. You know, I think it was in Stilton that were as good as anyone, especially the previous few years that we'd had. And Barcelona weren't that great at the time in the league. They were struggling with all the prima donnas that they had. So going into half time, 2 1 down, you think, right, we've, we've got a good chance here. And Laurent Robert, uh, he had his shooting boots on, on that night as well. For those who are at the game, and if the ones who can remember it, they'll also remember that he must have his boots on the wrong foot. Because every shot he had was going like 30 yards wide, 40 yards over the bar. You know, it was, it was ridiculous. It's just no matter what he did, it wasn't coming off. But the effort was there. But then we get to 3-1, the last goal of the game, and it was just before the hour. And there was a lapse of concentration. I'm sure you'll remember this when I talk about it. It was of epic proportions. A corner come over. And Dyer was on the back post. Dyer, except he wasn't on the back post. He was behind the back post. Uh, when the ball got flicked on, he's looking at it. Like he might as well have been having a fag on the, on the side. And he's looked up and the ball said he's thigh, but it had already crossed the line. There was no need for a VAR at this stage. Uh, it was over. But even then, 3-1 down. You think the game's over. We're going to give up, but we didn't. And we pushed and pushed and pushed to get back into the game. But to no avail, but we could leave there with our heads held high. Uh, we then did get back to the hotel, had a decent night with some of the players. Uh, and then had to then go to gift souvenir hunting in the morning to make up to the other halves for being 24 hours later than what we promised would be when we went to Barcelona. So our next away game in Europe, can anyone guess where it was? I'll give you a clue. You haven't seen a Mac on there. <laughs> there you go so that was Barcelona two, uh, 2002 3-1 defeat but I was there brilliant stuff mate Steve I always I always uh, feel a bit guilty coming to you after all the lads have had their say and you just say right back there <laughs> go on mate where are you going to take this especially with this one because there's such a small amount of games to cover yeah exactly but I'm, I'm going to take it back to the 3-2 but I want to I want to sort of bring it to where how we got there. Um, obviously, that, that season, uh, what people have got to realise is we qualified in the into the Champions League proper from the qualifying rounds. So we'd already played the qualifying game. This was only our second game of the season when we played, like proper official game of the season, um, taking away that qualifying game. We only had one league game and then we'll go into this game against Barcelona. Now, 
I don't know about the rest of you or anyone else who, who's listening, but the excitement of Newcastle United playing in the Champions League really, really got to me. It was, it was just ugh, the, the excitement, the thought that Newcastle United were now on the biggest stage in the world playing Barcelona, one of the top clubs in Europe. And I was equally as excited for, for having... The referee, he was like oh, a referee yeah, that you recognised off the telly in, in Kalina, you know, the best referee in, in, in the world, you know, was at St. James's Park. And that sounds ridiculous. But it's the, the guys have gone through the team, you know, that you, you look at the team, Given, Barton, Barris, Fred Watson, Albert, Batty, Lee, Barnes, Gillespie, Aspria, and John Dan Thomason. But there's people out there going, well, where was, where was Janola? Where was Ferdinand? Where was Shearer? Where was Lee Clark? Where was Bielski? So Where was Robbie Elliott? And unfortunately, the club and our manager had decided to sell Janola, decided to sell Ferdinand, got rid of Lee Clark, got rid of Bielski, got rid of Robbie Elliott that season. Shearer was injured in the in the pre-season against yeah. Everton. And so we went into and who did we sign as their replacements? Well, okay, we're, so, we're both Shea Given. Shea Given came at the start of that season. But we bought John Barnes. <laughs> oh, God, finished by the time he arrived. We bought Stuart Pierce again. Although he had a decent a decent time at Newcastle, I don't think anyone uh, thought, get in, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that, bearing in mind some of the players that we're now being linked with in the age. But we bought, John, we bought Ian Rush. Ian Rush is the oldest player we have ever bought. He was 36 when we signed him. We're whinging about buying, or some people are whinging about buying Chris Wood at 30 year old. We've got John, we've got Ian Rush at 36, for God's sake. You know, so there were John Dell Thomason. Nobody had heard of him, and we watched his whole career go down the pan after one mistake, uh, one failed goal, and the, and the, the lad's career was almost over. Um, Bought Ketsbaya, who nobody had heard really of. Um, and we bought a goalkeeper called Ralph, Ralph Kaidel as well. I, I think he went as soon as he came, as, as many goalkeepers. Did. So that's what that's what the club was at. But it was still exciting, the fact we're going to play Barcelona. The, the game itself, the guys have already described the game. Um, absolutely superb goals. But I went into that also excited about seeing certain players in the opposition. It's not something that really gets to us now. You know, you hear of like there might be one player or two players. I know it was good to see Ronaldo a couple of weeks ago at St. James's Park, even though he had a disastrous game. But it was good to actually, you know, after all those years, see him. But you look at their team, they had Nadal. Because I, I, I was a I was a, a great watcher of Spanish football at the time. They had Nadal, who was like a rock at the back and was solid. Luis Figo, you've mentioned. He's not bad at tennis either, Steve, is he? Yes, exactly. Uh, Enrique, Della Pena, Anderson, Rivaldo. Rivaldo was, was yeah. you know, turned into an absolute world superstar as well. And I was ex as excited as I was to, to watch these players. Um, and then, of course, you follow those players' careers through, you know, because you've seen them playing at St. James's Park, you have, like, in the first time you've seen a, a, a big European game, you have, like, an affiliation, you have, like, a connection, and you start looking at them. And it's strange how you do, because Luis Figo, his, in his last game that he played before he retired, when he had eventually gone from Barcelona to Milan, in his last game when Milan won the league, 
he was substituted so that they could the, the players, the fans at Milan could really, really praise him as he walked off the pitch and, as he was retiring. And uh, he was replaced by David Santon, believe it or not, <laughs> someone who signed for Newcastle later on. It's all these little connections that, that pop up, you know, that you, you, you think, you know, football's, a, you know, it's a big game. But it, it when it comes to Newcastle United, it, maybe it's we... Because we played the likes of Barcelona, because we got onto the European stage, maybe that's how we suddenly ended up buying players uh, of the of, of of European quality uh, in later on. And I think that's where the so the, the seed was sown, and we shouldn't we shouldn't sort of distance ourselves from the fact that it wasn't just a great game, but it did put Newcastle United on the European stage as a big club, and we will be. <laughs> In, in in that situation very, very shortly, one hopes. But uh, I, I haven't said much about the game, but just set the scene on, on why it was important and, and what it meant to me. Uh, that's basically all I could say, because you said the rest anyway. <laughs> Good stuff. Point out there, our thanks once again to Spider VPN. Uh, been with us for months uh, now, but uh, one of our main sponsors for all your internet security, Google Spider VPN. They are the boys to trust. Thanks a lot, lads. Thanks also to skipsandbins.com, telephone 0800 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay as you go waste collections. Thanks also to LG Family Funeral Directors, 01913897245, and the Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD, Hemp and Cannabinoid Specialists, www.theguhd.com. Thanks also to Arcot Interiors. Based at the bottom of Heaton Road, uh, for all your kitchen needs, just Google Arcot Interiors. And thanks to QTechShop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle. Thanks also to JabSignature.co.uk for producing our flyers and media arts, for producing our videos. If you're a first-time visitor to the channel, subscribe. Hit the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner. And that's it. You can subscribe for free. Still seven shows a week. Hit the thumb up to like the video, click share, share your social media and drop into the comments box to post a question or to speak to like-minded Newcastle fans. Also available as a podcast 24 hours after the show on iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. And uh, don't forget as well, we've uh, quite close now to this event, Sunday the 30th of January. Uh, it's an afternoon event, an, e uh, an afternoon with Peter Beardsley and Mick Lowe's uh, at the Time Theatre. Tickets still available on Google and on Woucher. Okay, George, back to you for uh, your second story. Well, my second story is a bit of a, a bit of a hodgepodge. I was going to concentrate on the the 2003 game at St James's where Barcelona beat us two 0 Um our, it was a fifth full house, 52,000. Uh, given Griffin, Bramble, O'Brien, Solano, Bernard, uh, Dyer, Janus, Robert, Bellamy and Shearer. Quite a strong team. But unfortunately, uh, that's the programme for the for the, the game. Thanks, Steve. Um, Barcelona were just that bit stronger. And on where this first match we talked about um, was a game of football. Uh, on this match, they actually give us a um, a footballing lesson. I mean, it was only 2-0 because of the heroics of Given and the, some of the really do-or-die uh, defended by O'Brien and uh, Bramble and uh, Bernard. The, the rest of it was really all one-way traffic with, uh, with Barcelona. And I have to say, Clivert was superb. 
you know, that's the like I think Steve said or somebody else said. That's the Clivert I wished we'd seen in black and white at Newcastle, not the one that we got when he was on his way out. Um, and as I was doing this, I thought, well, uh, why not look at what Barcelona really is? And, and so I delved a little bit into their history, uh, having to say that match was, was, was a football lesson from us. And uh, 1899, they were created uh, by a Swiss guy called Johan Kamper. Um, and he was a, a sports fanatic, and uh, he he got together with some uh, uh, Germans and and English people in, in, in Barcelona, and formed this uh, sports club. He, he was uh, um, they adopted the uh, city coat of arms as, as as their badge. He was a sports fanatic campaign. He was uh, international class in athletics, in cycling, rugby, and golf but had this passion for starting football and wanted to get it going in uh, in Barcelona. So they started their own club, run by the members, as it still is today. Um, and in 1910, they've the badge that they've got now, uh, which remains the badge they've got today. The colours, the red, red and blue stripes, halves, comes from uh, the fact that two of the original members of the club, the Withy brothers, uh, went to a merchant tailor school in, in England, a uh, public school, and the rugby strip for the merchant tailors was red and blue stripes, and that's why Barcelona's got red and blue stripes, which I thought was, uh, you know, it, it could only happen uh, to English. Um, they shot forward once they, they got organised, they had three stadiums. Um, I don't know if you've got the pictures of the stadiums, Steve. Yeah, I have. That's the first one on uh, the Industria Stadium, where where they first started off, and then after about uh, twenty years, they moved to the next one, which was uh, the El Cortez Stadium, and then in nineteen fifty seven, they moved to the New Camp, which uh, means new field uh, is is what that means in, in literally, uh, and that that's the modern new new camp, and I have to say. Um, Steve's saying about going to the new camp. Uh, my first visit to the new camp was when we were on holiday in Spain uh, with a certain young man sitting down in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen there. Uh, and we went uh, uh, not just to, to visit. I managed in the hotel, we managed to get tickets for the pre-season um, tournament. So we set the up one, from... One Gamba Trophy, yes. That's it, the One Gamba Trophy. And we set off uh, about two o'clock from uh, Salou, where we're staying, and uh, we didn't get home until about three o'clock the next morning. We sat from about four o'clock in the afternoon till about one o'clock in the morning, just watching one game after another game and after another game. It, it was absolutely fantastic. And looking at you know some of the top players in the, in the world over that period of time, but the other thing that struck me about the uh, about the the new camp is somebody said to me when we build when we build a new stadium we should look at the new camp. New camp was there in 1957, and when we were there, it was possible for the <coughs> the peanut seller and the ice cream man to walk along in front of you and give you a to your hand. There is no none of this throwing it in the crowd. He actually could walk along in front of you because that's how much room there was. And it's it's an, a, 
something to behold to sit in a stadium like that. And I don't think it took Neil and I quite a while to get over that. The second time I went was when I was on holiday in Nur uh, with uh, Marjorie. And uh, I got a ticket to go to see Barcelona versus Real Madrid. Now, those tickets are like gold dust. But this waiter in our hotel, and we'd been to this hotel several times before, we used to go there for a month every January at one part of our lives. And this way, I could always get tickets for things. And he, he got these tickets for um, for for uh, Barcelona versus Real Madrid. And that was an unbelievable uh, um, match and occasion and, and, and all the rest of it. Really, it was incredible. Actually, this, this way that... Uh, um, I mentioned in this hotel, there, there was somebody in the hotel, some bigwig got his, uh, his big posh limousine was pinched from out, outside the hotel. And uh, um, and he was he was making all sorts of threats about what he was going to do and, and all the rest of it. And uh, this waiter came in and said, uh, oh, senor, you, leave it to me. Don't don't trouble the guard. I'll, I'll get your car. And and within six hours, the car was back outside the hotel. So I don't know who this wheel I knew, but it was obviously somebody very important in in the world of uh, of, of Spain and, and and crime, I suspect, uh, allegedly. Uh, anyway, um, the, the, the the Barcelona um, Real Madrid game was was just unbelievable, um, and uh, looking at the history. Um, the Spanish Civil War was interest, interesting impact on them because the uh, president of the local Catalonian district of uh, Catalonia was was um, a Francophile. He 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 was supporting the revolution, and so they got rid of on the board any royalists on the board at Barcelona were asked to leave. Too sweet, off you go. And it was funny when the when the war was over and Franco decided to put the king back again. Suddenly, those people were coming back onto the board at Barcelona. So it is a very, very political um, organization as well. Campa died in 1930 of his own hand. Sadly, um, he had some personal problems, and and it just became too much. Um, and they were in huge debt as they are now, and they embarked on what's called the tour of salvation in the Americas. And they went to Mexico, Brazil, and the USA, and played games um, in in uh, in the yeah. USA, and made over half a million pesetas, which today would amount to, um, you know, this is 1937, would amount to uh, millions and millions. And when they got back, they were able to clear off all the debts and set the club up for a for an interesting future. Um, and just to uh, really uh, emphasise what an important club they are. 26 La Liga titles, 31 Copa del Rey um, uh, titles, five European uh, Cups and three World Club Championships. Well, that's quite a CV for any any football club. Um, interesting about the, the new camp as well. Designed by an art, a British architect, Norman Foster. Now, I've never seen anybody in this country even talk to Norman Foster about the sports ground. But that's who that's who uh, designed the new camp. And, and uh, it would seem to me that uh, 
um, it wouldn't be a bad uh, uh, start if, to, if we wanted to change to, for somebody to talk to Noble Foster. Anyway, I just thought that was add a bit more history to uh, why we got so wound up about uh, it being Barcelona and how important they were. Uh, and uh, again, as somebody said on the bottom, they're back to being crippled with debt again. And but I've no doubt that the the members will rally around and find a way of getting them out of that trouble. Yeah, that's my Great. second story. Great stuff, George. Always good to get a historical take on it as well. Steve Wilkinson, over to you for your second and final story on the Retro Show. Right. Well, I'm going to uh, go on and talk about the game that Stu talked about earlier on, um, and and talk a story. A, a sad story because uh, there's probably others like me uh, watching tonight who were amongst those many that didn't see the game but went to Barcelona for it um, and uh, couldn't stay on for the for the for the Wednesday. Um, I went down. I went. I actually booked two nights stay with uh, some mates. Well, a mate from work and some of his friends. It was five of us. We 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 drove down to Luton in my car on the on the Monday. Got a got a flight to. Uh, the Barcelona from Luton, um, and I'd, I'd booked into a hotel um, for for two nights uh, on the on the, uh, the the Monday and the Tuesday night, and, and the the return flight was five o'clock on the Wednesday after the match, and so it was it was a it was a sort of chance to have a mini break with the match in the middle of it, and plenty of time to, to build up for it on the on the on the Tuesday. Um, I met up with other friends there, and they were also staying at the same hotel when we got there on on uh, on Monday night. And uh, we had a we had a relatively quiet Monday night, just something to eat, and then uh, got ready on on Tuesday. Got a breakfast, and the heavens were opened already. And the forecast for the day wasn't too good, and so you were you were watching all day for for, for the, the the chances whether we were going to hear whether the game was off or what. But uh, it was absolutely monsoon and all day. And what we what we'd experienced uh, at that uh, at that night time on the on the nineteen ninety seven game was happening all day on the Tuesday. And you, you were just, as they were getting nearer and nearer time, you were just praying that it was going to ease off and, and it would drain away quickly, which it quite often does in Spain because it's, it's quite warm under, underground. I remember when I hadn't been on holiday, you could, you could have a thunderstorm in the afternoon outside the hotel and uh, you'd be sitting on the grass uh, an hour or so later with, um, with, with, a, with a, the rain all gone. So you, you always hoped that if the rain stopped, it would, the game would go on. So the day, the day progressed. It got to uh, sort of about, about six o'clock time, I think it would be, and and there was still no announcement whether the game was going to be on or off. So we we thought, well, we'll we'll go through the motions, we'll go at the ground and see what happens. So we got all ready to go at the match, uh, whatever waterproofs we had, trying to protect ourselves from it, and and got got to the ground. And all, at that stage, everybody was locked out; they weren't letting anybody in. Um, so I made my way around to where the the wheelchair entrance was, and uh, they decided to let me in. Um, we actually got into the ground, and um, uh, so the, the 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 couple of people that were with me, we went in and uh, we went to where we were due to be in the ground, and and just watched uh, the, the 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 referee inspecting the pitch. The water was just he just couldn't kick a ball. He was trying to kick the ball as they always do to see whether it's going. There was absolutely waterfalls coming off the roofs of the stand. It was absolutely horrendous seeing it. Um, but still no announcement whether the game was going to be on or off. They might have delayed the kickoff or whatever. And I think the, the rain might have been still hopeful that it was going to stop. But um, it uh, it was it was just getting worse. That's, and that's worse. the that's the pitch, Steve. Yeah, I think that's a pitch you're up in. Oh, right, and not on the on the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that that um, 
and and uh, as I say, there was there was no official announcement coming out, and I, I rang one of my mates who who hadn't gone to the match at home, and he, and he he was watching, and he he'd seen it announced on uh, on Look North. So the first time I heard was at about uh, probably about quarter to seven from uh, from a mate back home, where they told that they announced on Look North. While we were on the ground, they hadn't yet announced there that the game was off, but we heard via by my mate back in Newcastle on Look North that uh, the game was off. So uh, we made our way out. Um, and then there was, there was obviously the, the first thing you heard was there was, there was a, a, a likelihood it was going to be played the sec- next day. Well, we were hoping that it might be a, maybe a lunchtime kickoff or something like that, so we'd, we'd still have a chance of it. But then the, the announcement would be the, the same sort of evening kickoff. So as, as Stu said, there was a mad scramble for everybody to get accommodation, going to internet cafes to book new flights. Um, and, and we couldn't do it, although I think two of the lads that I was with did manage to do it. Um, they managed to, to stay. So um, we, we were just hoping that there would be some sort of cancellation maybe on the flight and we'd hear during the day. So it was, it was still praying at all through that Wednesday, waiting for the hope that, uh, that, that, that we might get a chance to see the match. Um, on the morning of the match, like so many other Newcastle fans did, we all went to the museum. I, I don't suppose Barcelona had ever seen so many Newcastle fans in the museum that morning. I don't know whether you were there, Stu, but... That it was no, <laughs> I was somewhere else that morning. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the, the watershed moment? <laughs> yes, it was, yeah. <laughs> well, that, we, we'd actually been to watershed moments the night before, because when we did get back to the hotel in... The, the, uh, he said, well, what are you going to do now? I thought, well, let's go out on the town. And uh, we did sort of go to those uh, entertainment venues that you can't talk about in the, uh, pre the watershed. So it was it was a good night out in Barcelona. But that wasn't the reason I'd gone. Uh, and I'd gone to see a football match, which uh, unfortunately I didn't. So it, as, the, as the day went on, um, it got to the point where three of us were going to have to go back to uh, the Newcastle. So we headed to the airport. Uh, got our flight at five o'clock. And... and uh, Got the Luton, not much more before the kickoff time. I thought, well, maybe at least we'll be able to listen to it on the radio on the way home, or, or find a, a bar with a, t- a telly in and, and, and stay down and watch it. But uh, at that time, it wasn't mass coverage on the uh, like it is now, anyway. You can go and see all the games at the same time. And uh, God's law says Man United were playing this game night, so not only was the televised match the Man United game, but also five live coverage was the commentary of the Man United game. So even driving back up. Um, we, we didn't get a chance to hear how the match was going, other than the, the odd time the win interrupt Man United game to tell us about the goals. And obviously, we were as delighted as Stu was when we heard that Shaw had stuck a one in. But um, overall, that was uh, that was my trip to Barcelona, where uh, like many, many of the other thousands that who had turned up for the Tuesday game and couldn't stay over, uh, we never get to see the game and, and, and see Newcastle score in the new camp for as once again the rain in Spain. Pause mainly when Newcastle are playing. So, um, that's <laughs> right back to the beginning. Full circle. Very good. Very good. Good good finish there, Steve. Uh, Mitch, on to you, mate. You know, for me, sitting here now, I, I don't necessarily feel I need to talk about a game. You know, we've got four games to talk about. And, and the lads can talk about those games probably far more eloquently than I can. Um, what we have with Barcelona is a strange relationship. And and that's something that, that lingers for me all the time. Where where clubs in the northeast of our country, where clubs that have a connection to the working class in our region, um, where clubs that look to 
not just represent the town or the city, we represent the region and the people of the region. And we've always had that sort of strange synergy, even down to St. George on the barge, and, yeah, you know, yeah. all, all, all of that, that that we carry. If you look at look at some of the bad some of the flags that the Catalans wave, they're Northumbrian flags. Yeah. We have this unbelievable regional synergy with the club and the city. And then you come down to individuals and you come down obviously to Sir Bobby Robson. And the connection between the two clubs that Sir Bobby links. And and he's loved in Barcelona and he's loved in the northeast of England for everything he was and is and still stands for. Then you have this this odd odd link through that to somebody like Jose Mourinho, somebody well loved and respected in the football world who still prefers to Jimmy's Park as Sir Bobby's house. And these links come back to this regional synergy that we seem to have with Barcelona. And it's a club that, you know, my dad's talking about us going to see Barcelona playing the one down the trophy. We didn't just do it one year, we did it for about three or four years on the bounce. We saw some of the best teams in the world over two days in a, in, in a semi-final on one night, the third and fourth place, and the final on the next night. And we did it, for, did it for years, probably three or four years. It was part of our summer holiday. It wasn't just about going to the northeast of Spain and enjoying ourselves. It was like, right, come and squeeze some of these football games in at this time as well. And for me, growing up, understanding European football and seeing the bigger picture beyond the top flight or the second flight of, of English football, for me, part of my football education. You know, I, I was grateful enough through the 80s to go and do games with my dad in the 84 European Championships in France, for example. And just mad things like that. But the connection with Barcelona has always been, for me, quite strong. And that's that's something I think we've always shared. And yet we can't express it always, I think, in something tangible. Yeah, we've got spot, yeah. Yeah, we played each other. Um, I think it's only four times actually in, in in competitive competition, and yet those all four games have something about them. All four games we've all got stories from, and and this is the thing about Barcelona. For me, I've lost a little bit of time for Barcelona in the last couple of years. This this Steve would say, you know, as we've looked at the, the way the world of fo football finance works in the last few years and the way that, that it, certain clubs have been exposed about how they're propped up. And Barcelona is one of them, you know, being propped by regional government, effectively. And, and being allowed to do things outside of FFP that many clubs can't because they're being propped by regional government. That's not right. We don't have that. We don't have that luxury. Um, Perhaps we do now. Let's see. But in terms of playing Barcelona, it's always felt like almost like a friendly derby. And that we have far more 
affinity with that club in that region, then perhaps um, people realise. And and I'm really lucky. I've seen us play Barcelona four times, the four times we've played them in Europe. Um, I enjoyed and relished the 3-2 win, but at the same time, my celebrations, when Shola scored the equaliser, when we got beat 3-1, were unashamedly fantastic. Because there we were in the night camp, 1-1, bring it on, here we go. Um... And we all want and need more of that. And this is where some of this absolute tripe about our expectations being unrealistic. Do you know what? We've been there. We've done it. The evidence is clear. It's fact. But just like that again, we went into all of those games against Barcelona with no expectation other than let's give it a bloody good go. And that's all we would do if we ever went in the Champions League again. We'll give it a bloody good go. And we come away with memories, like beating, beating Barcelona 3-2, like beating Juventus at home 1-0, like going to Feyenoord and doing something that nobody else had ever done and qualified from that second stage after losing the first three games. That's what we want. We don't expect to win the bloody thing. Just give us a chance to bloody the nose and go toe-to-toe. We'll take that every day. And these games against Barcelona are all about that. And yet people will use that against us as a fan base to say what unrealistic. No, we're not. We just want to go toe-to-toe, give us the chance and we'll bloody love it. And that's what all these Barcelona games are about for me. Brilliant stuff. Stu? Follow that, eh? Follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Two rants. That tanker that uh, uh, Mitch's dad bought him is certainly, yeah, it's like a special portion or something in there. Uh, I know what's going in it, though, so I can understand. (laughs) Just to clarify, yes, that is the Christmas tree. And yes, it's still up and it'll still be up until early part of next week. I thought you were going to see me next month. Nah, I tell you what, it'd be there all year if she had her way, but I'm not to touch it, so i just got to smile. See, I'm you the boss of this house. You can't take a Christmas tree down. No. Oh, I'd break it anyway. It's a bird, man. She'll kill him. Right. Oh, she would. Put a bit over it. She put it up, she can bring it down. <laughs> so I've covered the Christmas tree right now. Because it's the last retro, and I want to cover... Probably one of the best games that we've we've had, and it's the game that George and Mitch and Steve Acey all covered, which was a three-two uh, home game in September. Um, and I'm just going to go through the goals. September '97. That is not last September, unfortunately. The the first goal was it a dive by Tiro? You know what I mean? So, or was it clever play? His leg in. <laughs> well, he did when he put his leg in. To be fair. Did but the, the bloke next to me, you know, yeah, but there was no thing else. The bloke next to me, he was, and I, you know, when you look at someone, they think, are you being serious, mate? We've just got a penalty against Barcelona. And he was like, good apoplectic that it was it was a dive. But he did share when we scored, like, uh, but who cared? Who cared? We had a penalty against Barcelona, and it was, it took someone with some nerves of steel, uh, nerve, nerve, well, I said nerve, not the word, of steel. 
Uh, there was one nonchalant walk up, not a run up, one nonchalant kick, one flailing hand from a goalkeeper, one net rippling, one somersault, and a one nil up against Barcelona. Zero, <laughs> zero, zero. <laughs> you know, we're off and running. So that's the first goal. The second one, the celebration is just about died down. It was eight minutes later when quick thinking and possibly the best forward pass of David Batty's career, he knocked it out wide to uh, Gillespie, who turned his man uh, and he ran at the fullback and he delivered what's described as an inch-perfect cross for Tino to produce a leap that defied gravity. And he powered his header in the, uh, the Gallagher net. And you know what? That goal, the second one, the noise that was generated in the in the Gallagher that day, I still get goosebumps now. I'm sure you still get goosebumps now thinking about it. So once again, Tino, Tino, <laughs> we're 2-0 up against Barcelona and we'll reach off time. There, it stays till 2-0 and we're on the front foot and you're thinking, this is just incredible. This is the same team that had, if you, oh, I know I talked about on the uh, on the Christmas special when we did the European nights, but 10 years previously, look at the players that were representing this club, our club. Uh, so but anyway, second half starts and uh, Barcelona must have got a bit of a flay in the rear and they were, they were attacking a bit. But then a move that will live with me forever and ever and ever was uh, Rob Lee got the ball on the edge of our box and he drove forward uh, to just about the centre circle, knocked it square to Gillespie who let the ball run across him. He's turned past the defender and he was away like a gazelle on steroids down that wing. And he's just had one look up and if the second cross was in perfect, this one was millimetre with millimetre precision. And, and the head, the header from now, I know Mitch talked about before how high he jumped. Bang, again, he defies gravity. And with three nil up, and we're in danger of surpassing the five nil like we did against Man United just 11 months previously. Three nil up, Tino Hatrick. I think that def definitely deserves a Tino, Tino. So that was us in Dreamland. And then Newcastle do. Well, Newcastle wouldn't be Newcastle if they didn't do what Newcastle do. And they did the most Newcastle thing and got caught in two minds. Do they go forward and keep pushing or do they sit back and try and defend? And we did neither, to be honest. <laughs> we just seemed to get stuck. So it's, uh, just after halfway in the second half, I think it was 70, 72, 73 minutes, some careless defender allowed Barca to ping the ball around as they do. And the ball fell onto the right side of the box to some fella called Figo. Uh, Figo, 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 like Figo. <laughs> and he delivered. And in keeping with tonight, he put a cross in that was perfect uh, for Luis Enrique. Now, to me, this was handball because it looked they, they said it come off his chest. But if you ever watch a replay of it, you know there's this, this claim to say hit his arm as well. So that's that with with running down the clock, a couple of minutes to go. And as George mentioned earlier, there was. There was a flap across Kubo, I think it was a corner, and Cheer just flapped on it. And they got bounced back to post, back to the front, and they got scuffed out. Landed to this Figo chap again. I mean, I don't know if he made a good career out of himself or not. But anyway, he had a decent second half this this game. And he's hit a ball through, and I'm not exaggerating, there must have been about eight players in front of him. And as good as he was, he couldn't do that again. It just hit no one and went into the bottom corner. And it was 3 2 and you're thinking, here we go. How is this rug going to get pulled from underneath our feet? But it didn't. Uh, and that was that. Folklore was created. Legends were made. 
stories that we're still talking about now, 20 odd years later. It's, it was amazing. And after that, I went straight to the arena to catch the second night of the Oasis concert. Now, some might say that was a perfect night. Um, so it's adios from the retro, and I just want to say it's been an honour to be asked on it in the first place. And it's been a privilege sharing the screen with George and with Steve and Mitch and Steve talking about games. And thank you for everyone for watching for us talking rubbish about games from years ago. Uh, it's a series. It's been it's been really nice sharing our tales and for people to watch, tune in, and everything else. So thanks very much. Good stuff. Okay, yeah. Steve Hasty. Right, leave it to me. Um, I was at the Oasis gig the night before, so I was sensible, so I could go to the strawberry <laughs> after the match. I didn't, there was none of this uh, going back and worshipping other people. Um, oh, you live forever, you, man. Well, that's true. Ah. I knew you were I've been waiting for it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the, the game that's already been mentioned as well, but I'll just... The, the, it was the 1-0 defeat in the pouring rain, oh. which was the return leg uh, in, in uh, 1997. Um Got the plane there the night before, the day before. We had three days there. Um, first, first memory was first time I've been on an aeroplane, which for two hours, uh, or just over two hours of a flight, I think there was six domino cards went round at least, if not more. It was the first time I'd experienced Newcastle fans on an aeroplane on an away flight who were subsidised in that trip by running domino cards, which I thought was very, very, uh, very, very clever. Of them. Um, <laughs> we got to Barcelona uh, round, about the, round about the lunchtime, maybe it's just after, and it was a case of there's your room, throw your bag in and straight back out on the drink for the rest of the day. Um, but got up the next morning. Now, remember, I'm with Newcastle fans. I'm, and anyone who knows my little circle of friends as well will know what cheapskates they are. So there was no chance of missing the paid for breakfast that was the that was the key you had you're going to come down to that breakfast no matter whether you drank yourself into a stupor you couldn't walk your head was spinning whatever i knew they'd be all down for breakfast so anyway sure enough went down everybody's there suffering and then you just knew you had another day on the drink anyway looked at the table next to her and the table next is all lined up and i've mentioned this on the show before tables all lined up for breakfast and there's not a single person turns up and we're thinking, like, you can see the lads going, well, what a waste, you know, this breakfast. Then this little bloke walks in, and uh, he looks at the table lined up, and he walks over to the waiter, and we're just thinking, who's this character? And he walks over, and he goes, uh, beers, beers. And the uh, waiter's looking at him and thinking, it's breakfast, it's breakfast. And uh, no, no, beers, beers. And he, he made him put a bottle of beer into the, it must have been 12, 15 places on this little table. Yeah, well, long table. It's all laid out for breakfast. And there's nobody there, but there's 12, 15 beers laid out, you know, instead of the coffee and that. And we're just coming well breakfast. And as the lads from this other table started to walk in, every single one of them, as they were side down, there's this little Hitler character who's going, Got to drink this beer before you have your breakfast. You got to set yourself up. You, that was it. If you if you didn't get out before me, you had to have a beer. And sure enough, as the whole table filled up, everybody had to have before they even started like a bit of toast, or a cup of coffee, or whatever. They had to drink this beer. Um, subsequently, realised this was the first time I'd met Keith Patterson uh, in a away game. <laughs> 
the Keith Patterson from NCSL. And it was his it was his party of pals from Durham who were on the other table. And it, it, you just you wouldn't believe it. And you look back over over the way the, the, the occasions that we've had uh, following Newcastle. But uh, yes, that was that was Keith Patterson and my first reminiscence of Keith Patterson in an away game. Um, so the day was set. Everything else has been said about that match. Um, the the disappointment. You look at the team that were put out, and you had Heslop in goal, and Beresford and Pistonia's fullbacks, Peacock and Albert are back, Patty, Barnes, Goodspire, uh, Stevie Watson, and a certain Des Hamilton in the midfield with John Paul Thomason up front on his own. Of course, as, as Steve Wilkinson said, they knew that they were already qualified and everything was, they changed their team. Figo was on the bench, Nadal was on the bench, uh, Sabi Fernandez was on the bench, Montero. Our bench consisted of Pav, Stuart Pierce, uh, Brian Pinas, remember him? Uh, Aaron Hughes, Robbie Elliott. And Jimmy Crawford. That was the quality that we took on that on that second second game, um, and it, I think it was the other only thing. Obviously, the pouring rain, the amount of money that was spent, um, and then the hanging around until three o'clock in the afternoon to get the flight home, um, struggling to find clothes that were still that, that were that were dry enough to wear. Um, it's probably I posted up before photographs of, of of the lads in Barcelona, and we did actually uh, meet uh, quite a few of the squad. Not that many of us want to have photographs taken with them, um, but uh, yeah, Barcelona, absolutely fantastic trip. Was in that square with you, Steve. Didn't yeah, say maybe. hello, didn't buy you a drink, and probably wouldn't have if you'd been there anyway. Because I'm cheapskate, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, absolutely fantastic trip. Uh, and I'm hoping that we get the opportunity to go to Europe again. I'm hoping some of the young fans, uh, as we were f- relatively young in those days in 1997, get the opportunity to experience what we've experienced at away games, um, yeah. experience the, the the drama of, of a three day away trip. Um, it seems ages since we've since we've had those opportunities, and I'm just hoping we're going to get the opportunities again. And uh, Mitch, just to finish off, you were talking about Barcelona and their finances and such like. I think you'll find that Barcelona, I've just checked up, they're currently 1.35 billion euros in debt, of which they owe 673 million to banks, which isn't bad. Um, they they have restructured their debt with a a certain American bank, the priority is going to be to rebuild the new camp uh, by 2025, increase its capacity to 105,000. And according to their current president, uh, he expects to generate additional, not not generate, but generate an additional 200 million euros a year from the redevelopment of the new camp moving forward um, through catering, ticketing, VIP boxes, oh. hospitality, and the opportunity to have meetings and events. And I suppose that includes tourists like yourself nipping along and going on a, let's have a look at the museum. Christ, that's the sort of money. <laughs> 200 million a year, he reckons he's going to make. Good luck to them. Um, but uh, football's a funny old game, isn't it? <laughs> As somebody once said, uh, fantastic, lads. Great, great show uh, tonight. Been a great series. Uh, I will finish off with some supposedly uh, celebrity uh, Barcelona fans. See whether you can uh, guess who these are. That's Justin Bieber. Yeah, Justin Bieber. 
Yeah, Justin Bieber. Uh, God, I would never have had him down as a football fan. Oh, the opera singer. Yeah. Um, uh, come on. Jose, Jose. Jose Carreras. Carreras. Jose Carreras. A very old Carreras, I must say. This man sadly no longer with us. The Bron. Uh, no, Cody no. Bryant, is it? Yeah, Cody, Cody Bryant. Bryant. That's Shakiri. Shakira. Yes, Shakira. <laughs> and she's married to Pete Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Last one. Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali. Dali, yeah. What a what a great what a great <laughs> great one to finish off with. Um yeah, George, and people do like the history lessons. I presume this was the guy who you were talking about earlier that's about Barcelona. Kampa, yes, that's right. One Gampa, yeah. Well, that's him. Yeah, yeah, and I, I did have another two photographs. I'm just not sure what the relevance was. That that well, one, that's, George, that's, from you. Um, well, that that's an old program. I don't know why I sent that one. Don't know why I. Sent All right, that. okay, <laughs> you sent that. Yeah, I, I've got no idea why you sent that. I'll not do that. And a lot of people as well. I mean, it was mentioned in the chat there. I did notice, but yeah, it was Kenny Daglish who managed the infamous it three two? It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't Kevin Keegan, and I. I was no, lucky in those no. in those days. I'll finish up with a story, but in those days, um, I was doing the football fanzine, the the number nine, which had obviously followed on from being the uh, the mighty Quinn, and um, the club and me. Surprise, surprise, had a, a tenuous relationship. But at that time, when Kenny Daglish came in, um, things certainly appeared to be on the up. Um, I must have a guardian angel in Liverpool because. I got a, a a phone call out of the blue from Kenny Daglish um, when he took the manager's job at Newcastle United. I was asked to go along to the press conference when he was announced as the manager um, as a guest by Kenny Daglish. So I went along and um, I met him. I was there. I've got a photograph uh, on the day of the press I just remember seeing the likes of Alan Oliver and John Gibson and a few of the other local journalists looking to him, what on earth is he doing here? You know, how's he managed to, to get his way in? Anyway, on the day, Kenny made a point of coming up and having a chat with me. And uh, he offered me the opportunity to, uh, to, to be the first person to actually interview him at the training ground. And um, at the time, Newcastle was still training down at Maiden Castle. And... Uh, I made my way across by train. Obviously, I, I didn't drive, and uh, I made my way down by train, and then I got a taxi uh, across to Maiden Castle and went along with my little tape recorder, and uh, I went along with one of my mates as well. He said, if you want to bring one of your friends, bring one of your friends down. So I took me Sunday League goalkeeper, who was a big Newcastle fan, Mark Collinwood, uh, with us. And... Um, I got there, got the reception. Uh, just said that I was here to, to interview Kenny Daglish, and um, that was it. He, he welcomed us in. He had his tracksuit on, took us down to his office at uh, Maiden Castle, and on the day, I sent the tape recorder away, and I, I went on like every good fans he know that I did, and asked him all the questions that I wanted to ask him. He didn't hold back from anything, and uh, at the end of the meeting that we had. He, uh, he asked if he could have a couple of minutes with me on my own. He didn't want to, to say anything in front of me mate, Mark. So Mark went outside and we chatted for a little bit about, um, you know, what the press were actually like. And he, he highlighted two papers in particular. He highlighted the, the, mail on, the, the, the Daily Mail and The Sun. The Sun, for obvious reasons, because of its, uh, you know, the disgraceful headline when people perished in Hillsborough. And uh, obviously the, 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 the mail as well. He said, Steve, he said, 
I, I'm delighted to be here. I'm going to have a great, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to finally win that trophy for Newcastle United supporters. He says, but please be aware, he says, that some of these press um, are going to have it in for me. And, you know, I'm not going to be given the time that I would like to have to, you know, essentially settle in and do the job that I want to do here. And I, you know, I'd never heard anything like this in my life. You know, especially from you know, especially from a football manager. But you know that that particular situation made me you know made me think about how the press work and how the media work. And uh, you know, we shook hands and um, we posed for an obligatory photograph, which you know, which which was you know, which was great. And um, off I went, and I, I put across the I put the interview out, and the newspapers came to me. They wanted to get you know, they couldn't believe that Kenny Daglis had given the exclusive interview to a fanzine editor. And, um, you know, from there on, I was on Kenny's guest list. I, I got invited to games. But that, that was the period of that wonderful Champions League period. And um, the highlight of that was, if you remember, when you used to go to the ground, they actually used to have a media tent, a media, like a media yeah. city, wherever the Champions League games used to go to. So Kenny gave me a pass for those games, which meant that I could go in for the pre-match and post-match uh, conferences and cover them. Um, and I was blown away with, with that opportunity, you know, to be able to go in and mix with the world's press, ex-players. Um, and it just gave me a it gave me a little niche, which I, I never ever, you know, could never ever have dreamt of. Um, the the best press conference I went to um, happened to be when there was a, a Russian journalist in. And Kenny, as we know, was never the he was never the most um, you know uh, cooperative person with the press for obvious reasons. But uh, we stood there as uh, a Russian journalist asked their question in Russian. So Kenny just looks. No answer. So then the guy repeats the question again in Russian. No answer. <laughs> and he goes, I've not got any translators like. And <laughs> And, and the guy who was, it was the woman who was doing the uh, the PR at the time, it was a woman called Hazel Green, and she went, uh, have we got anybody who speaks Russian? And uh, <laughs> they didn't have anybody that speaks Russian. And, and it was just one of those moments where Kenny just cut him straight off, just shook his head, looked at Hazel Green, and shook his head, and then, you know, continued to, like, to talk to the other press and media. And the guy from Russia was standing there, like, putting his arms up. We're not going to get any answers to your questions yet. The night of the Barcelona game, though, was really special because Simon O'Rourke, who was a, a bit of a rookie at the time on ITV, um, had really just started to do, you know, interviews and in sport. And he asked me um, if I would be interested in doing an interview uh, prior to the match, uh, prior to the big game at St. James's Park, the 3-2 game. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll be happy to do it. Um, and I went up to the ground early. And Simon didn't tell us that he'd actually got permission to do it at pitch side. Obviously, it was being you know covered worldwide, so I got an opportunity to go through the players' entrance, through down the tunnel, and then under the pitch side as the players were warming up and do my interview. And it was fascinating, you know, to be there. And Louis Van Gaal came down, and you know Kenny Daglish came down, shook me hand, and it was just a remarkable way of you know building up to the game for me. I was obviously in my my usual seat back then and the Gallagher end. But um, to actually have been pitch side on the biggest, one of the biggest nights in European history, of our, our European history, and get a chance to do that interview and to see some of these 
players and, and the managers up close was, was something I'll never forget. And um, I always, you know, you know, I always speak to Kenny when I've, you know, I've seen him many, many times since and always thanked him for that. And he, you know, he's never told us who it was, who, who told him to get in touch with me, but uh, I'll always be thankful. But um, yeah, the, the Barcelona game was brilliant. Um, some, a lot of people in the chat going, have you, have you uh, that needs to be re-released on DVD. But I do, I think I do still have it. So Dunnell, if I can get a copy, um, if I can get a copy of it run off for you, I will do, mate. And the next time we have a bit of a get together, I'll, I'll sort you a copy out. So don't worry about it. I've definitely got, uh, I've definitely got a copy of that. But uh, as for the retro show, it's been fantastic. Um, there's been some brilliant shows. I love doing the Newcastle Disunited stuff as well, which of course is connected to this. I've stuck a link in the chat for you guys to watch the Tino and Gillespie night that John Gibson did at Nine Bar. Well worth a watch because they talk predominantly about this game. And uh, don't fear, the lads on the screen will still be here. We uh, are launching a new show next Wednesday, which I'm sure George will be happy to take part in because it means George can finally start talking about what's going on at this moment in time. Um, we are going to, we're going to launch a show which Stu Penman actually came up with the name with. Geordie's here, Geordie's there which I think is a brilliant name for a title. Um, Stu's, come up with, Stu's come up with the idea. And I think Wednesday night's a perfect fit for it. So, lads, are you all up for that? Or yep. do you just want to read on Wednesday? I thought you wanted to just finish the sentence of the name there. Joe, no. here, Joe, there. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly, I nearly did that. I nearly did that. <laughs> How Sorry. many hours home, homework do I have to do before that one? You don't need to do any homework because you're going to be talking about modern day. But with a twist, I, I'm sure there'll be some comparisons as we go through. And, yeah. you know, when, when we play teams week by week, guys, I think, you know, you'll be able to drain. Oh, do you remember that game? And I think it'll be a slightly different feel to it. I think it'll be yeah. great. I think it just means we can keep the show going with you guys. Um, great start with lead stories the next week. Yeah, exactly. So maybe just look at a few stories. Look at a few stories with the teams that we've got coming up in the following week. I think that's a good way to go, and it still gives you that retro feel. But we'll be talking, you know, and it gives the chat. The chat haven't really been able to get involved with this show as much as we hope they would. Um, some some younger members in there as well, especially. But I think it. I think it'll be great, lads. So great way to finish the retro show. But uh, the retro show is uh, is over. Uh, thanks for doing it, lads, and look forward to seeing you for uh, part one of Jordy's here. Jordy's there next week. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. Adios. Adios. Talking to myself again But it's easy